Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, episode 57. Today, I'm talking to my longtime friend, Leo Cummings, about what white allyship can look like as we all wake up to the racial injustices perpetuated against Black people in our world today. I know there may be some of you who don't understand the Black Lives Matter movement, who don't see how racism still exists today, or don't realize how powerful your words or your silence can be when it comes to today's current events. I hope you'll listen to this episode with open ears and an open heart. Today, we're not going to have any ads or sponsorships so we can focus on the necessary conversations and not profit off of Leo's generous education. Instead, please check out Leo's podcast, Black Dude, White Dude, especially episode 72 in light of George Floyd. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Leo, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Okay, would you tell the listeners how you and I know each other, what you do, and a little bit about uh, your own podcast? Okay. Uh, We've known each other since high school, um, which seems like a long way ago now. Uh, I was a couple years older than you in school. And really, it was my senior year, which would be your sophomore year. Um, Our crews kind of ran around with each other. Uh, And then obviously, post high school, we continued to be friends. And here we are today. Big fan of yours and have been for a long time. What do I do? I'm the uh, I'm the director of sales at the Chamber of Commerce in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, I am primarily tasked with helping people see the vision of, of what it is that we are doing here. Um, and more often than not, that takes a monetary role where I'm actually asking for money to support particular initiatives or events or memberships or whatever. And my podcast... People will buy from you because you're so likable. Well, most of the time, I like I, I like I'm pretty good at what I do if I'm if I'm being fairly honest. So yeah, I like uh, I like to think so. A little bit about our podcast. I host a podcast called Black Dude White Dude. I would be the black dude. The podcast started with us talking about an issue which I wish I could think of. I don't even remember the initial issue, but my take on it was different because I was black and his take was different because he's white. And we started talking. We thought we should do a podcast about this. Um, so we have a lot of difficult conversations. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, you and I, would be something that we've talked about recently um, and other race-related events. But we also have on uh, local folks who we are fans of and like what they're doing, like one, Jessica Zimmerman, who's actually been on the show twice, um, episode 61 and episode 69. So go check those out if you've not done that. You can get Black Dude, White Dude on any apparatus in which you get podcasts. So Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, obviously Apple, and all the other fun ones out there. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I really like it. It's a good podcast for sure. Okay, so uh, you and I have had a lot of conversation about this. You were actually over at our house earlier this week, and I think for six hours, you, Brian, and I hung out and we talked, and we were like, we've got to get this on the podcast and talk more about this. So I just want to preface this by saying that you and I have a longstanding relationship. We're in Conway Business Community together. Like you said, I've been on your podcast. Here you are on mine, and that you aren't a token Black friend. You are so, so generous. Because you are, you are my friend and you're generous to come here and to share your experience and insights with Zimmerman podcast listeners. Insights, which by the way, extend far beyond racial inequality and the current climate in the Black Lives Matter movement. You're an incredible father to two little girls, Charlotte and Naomi, podcast hosts, and you've been talking about it. You're on the Chamber of Commerce for Conway. But today we are going to talk a lot about race because I'm imagining a lot of listeners are aware of what's happening in our country right now. And I want us to have, you know, an honest conversation like you and I always do, just like we had earlier in my living room earlier this week. So thanks for doing that because your voice is much better for this than mine is. So I'm going to ask questions and then just listen. I just want to hear what you have to say. Okay. Um, let me, let me preface everything by this. Okay. So I think you, you hit it on somewhere like my voice is, is my voice, right? So while I am a black man and I feel like I probably can speak for some people 
um, my experience is is colored with my with my lens, right? I'm I'm 40. I live in the South. My wife is white. I say that to say definitely hear my experience and listen to my experience, but don't take it as the only experience because just like and it sounds silly to say this, but just like white people are multi layered and have different experiences, black people are the same way. Absolutely. I know there's a lot of white people waking up to allyship right now. And like you said, you can't speak for the whole black community, but what are some things for you that you, you know, you look for in an ally who is really doing the work, you know, both short term and long term? I think that starts with listening. I think you said today that you're going to listen, right? I, th- I think it starts with listening and listening without, without judgment or preconceived anything, because oftentimes if you ask me, I mean, just the, the premise of the, the Black Dude, White Dude podcast, right? If you ask me something um, and I see it one way and then someone else sees it another way, I think there's a, a tendency to want to refute that and stand on your position and defend your position. So I would ask for, for these folks that you're talking about to just stop for a second and just listen in the entirety for what the people group or the person has to say. And right after listening, empathize, right? And I don't know that you'll ever, well, no, I, I feel confident you won't be able to ever fully sympathize with 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 what we're going through. I, I told my wife, who I, I mentioned is white, the other day, I said, you spend more time around me than anyone in the world. And that's been the case for the last 10 years. And you probably still can't s- scratch the surface as to what it's actually like to walk a day, let alone a lifetime in my shoes. Yeah. So, so being able to empathize, I think is extremely important because I think we're all capable, obviously, obviously of, of empathy as we are all humans and for the most part have that, have that capability. And I think the last is education. My guess is that will be a common thread with, with any questions you may throw out today, because a lot of this stuff, there's only so much that you glean from just listening to me or just listening to another podcast. I think that seeking out black voices in in podcasts, seeking out black voices in books, seeking out black voices um, in movies um, from from black authors. I think that is a another good way to fully educate yourself, along with just looking back in in American history. Uh, we don't have to go very far. I mean, take not take slavery out of it, but I mean, yes, that was obviously an incredibly terrible but i mean we're we're talking not too not too distant past their stuff that obviously has shaped the way that um black people are viewed uh even where they lived so there's a lot of research that can be done on that yeah and to your point i just want to add that you know i recently really diversified my feed. I was was following some people of color but i really you know wanted to have more voices, black voices in my Instagram feed. So I really changed that up. And it has been so fascinating to learn, you know, just even just from seeing like their Instagram stories and hearing things and reading things like, I understand that that white people are just waking up, but I am not your source of education. Like you please go and do the, don't ask me what systemic racism is please go do your own research. And someone even said, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's so good. They said, so there's this thing called Google. I don't know if you've heard of it, but like, it's funny, but it's also like, it's true. And I think, have you experienced any of that in the past couple of weeks? People just texting you. Yes. I've had, uh, I've had a lot of people reach out to me via text, uh, social media message. So Facebook, Instagram and calling, and the message for the most part has been, I see you, um, I appreciate you, I love you. Uh, in some instances, there were, I stand by you. In some instances, it was, what can I do as a white person to show that I'm an ally? And I, I want to make, make something clear. I appreciate that. Uh, and I think their their heart is in a good place. And to a point you mentioned earlier, I think some people's eyes are just being open to kind of to what's going on in the world and maybe the the worldview that they had on racism or even what they were taught about racism is is different than than what they thought. So I applaud that. But that is that is a weighty thing. What's happened in America the last 2 or 3 weeks has been a lot for for me to process and deal with on an individual level. And then you have we'll call it 15 to be fair. 
15 individuals, some of which are relaying their own history with racism or their history with black people. Um, now that's not even including like the own digging in my own brain of times where I've felt I was treated unfairly or flat out wrong or called something. I say that to say it's a lot. So like with my own shit, it's, it's a lot. So then on top of that, it's extremely heavy. So if there's an opportunity, which there is for you to just hit up your friend Google, as opposed to adding to the stress level inadvertently, of course, but adding to the stress level of your black friend or coworker or neighbor, or whatever, I would, I would invite you to do that. Because honestly, that that intrinsic motivation for you to actually say, okay, I want to do that. I want to I want to start this path of learning on my own is ultimately going to make you better. I had a friend reach out to me. It's a white guy. He asked me to speak at his. He does a, a college group, uh, the small group, a Bible study small group for some guys that I assume are all white. He asked me to just come talk to them, and my first thought was, yes, of course I'll do that. And then the more I thought about it, I thought it's entirely possible that I come talk and we have a great conversation and maybe they get a couple nuggets. And then I think there's a potential that after that, they're like, whew, I'm done. Like I, I sat through this thing. I got some good information and now I've done my part and now I can move on. Um, and when you talk about making that choice to be an ally every day, it's like any sort of education. It doesn't stop once, right? It, it, it's got to be a continual, it's got to be a continual thing. So I've actually left that message on red for a couple of days, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to respond to him and politely ask that, and even make, I might even make some suggestions of some ways to get started. But for this particular instance, it won't be Leo coming to, to speak to get them started. Right. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And I think that it comes from an honest place of, you know, people wanting to do better. But it's like, man, that's not the source. The source is not is not your black friends. The source is and it, it and it isn't let me hit you up so that you know my true heart. Like your actions will show your heart. Sure. Absolutely. And so example, like I didn't get a I didn't get a message from Jessica Zimmerman, but I did see Jessica Zimmerman posting stuff and saying stuff on Facebook. So not saying a private message to me, saying to all of her friends and family and followers, hey, here's my heart. Here's how I feel. And for, for me, that's so easy because I'm like, okay, she gets it. She's doing the work. And then I can send you a text and say, what I say? I'm so damn proud of you or something like that. I'm so damn proud of you. <laughs> yeah. So that I, I just appreciate that. So I'm just kind of piggybacking off what you said. Right. And, you know, I even had a conversation with a friend yesterday who, you know, she was, and this is a friend that I respect and I know she has incredible relationships with, with black people, black friends. And she, um, she was, she was quieter, you know, during that time. And we were just kind of talking about the difference, you know, between, how we reacted. Now I'm a very passionate person, so I can get really involved and I'm like, here's action steps to take. And, and she was more, you know, quiet in hers. So it's going to look different and it's okay. But I think the main point that you're trying to say here is do your own work. Let's not ask our black friends for even more responsibility. Right. And every person's learning ability to digest information is different and everybody's desire to learn more is different, right? So I can't, I can't begrudge you for, I, I can't begrudge someone else for not being as far along as a process as you are, right? So that's something that I would say for, for black people that we've got to be patient for lack of a better words, while our white allies and friends are doing their best, if they are doing their best, because that's a big um, difference to educate themselves and to, to try to learn the plight of black America, basically. You and I, when we talked the other day in my living room, I was, I said to you, you know, how embarrassed I was that I didn't know about redlining. Like I, I had no idea. And that was something that I took the time to research and look up on my own. And it made me sick. You know, it just made me sick. And but that is an example of something that like, we're not going to ask Leo to explain that, but I encourage you to go research that and look it up because man, it is so unfair how 
the system has been set up to just favor white people. It's it's just sick. Yeah. I echo that. And I think once you do, I think it might illuminate some things for you. You know, we were talking just the other day. It's like, you know, why are there poor parts of town? It's like, why in every major city is there uh, a ghetto or an area that's that's underdeveloped and underfunded? It's not like all the black people are like, okay, we're going to move to this side of town over here and then we're intentionally going to not keep it up and we're going to intentionally going to it doesn't like if you just think about it it makes no sense i heard someone say the other day that the system was broken and so it's a no the system is is doing exactly what it was built to do right so in essence it's got to be it's got to be rebuilt um which is much easier said than done but it's it's working to do exactly what it was intended to do but it even it's opened my eyes so much because you and I earlier this week, I asked you, I said, I'm craving catfish. Like, what's the best catfish? And you told me the place. And I drove there like the next night to have some catfish. But you know where it is, is, is I would say in a in a lower funded area, probably. And as I was driving to it, I saw this black family. They looked just like my family. It was a, a husband and a wife. They had a little kid with the basketball goal out front that they were trying to teach him, you know, the basketball. They had a little girl jumping rope and they had a baby on their hip. And I thought they live here on this super high traffic road that's locally funded because of the system. And if the system wasn't built the way the system was built, they would probably be my next door neighbors. I've never ever thought that in the 38 years that I've driven in this town, or not, I haven't driven for 38 years, the 38 years that I've been driven around and then drove myself. That's never crossed my mind until after you and I had that conversation. And I thought, wow, like it just, that kind of daily reminder will, for me, encourage me to keep up my own education and to, and to, you know, do my own work to be an ally every day. And that's how it works, right? So when you when you know better, you do better, right? So when you when you start seeing this stuff, it can see it in your city every time you drive around your city, um, or every time you turn on your TV. It's like, okay, it, I, I get it now. Everything that all that looks to just strengthen the the education that you're getting and, and prove it to be true. Yeah. Okay. So you're a black man. We have a lot of white women who listen to this podcast. Is there one thing that you wish white women knew about your experience as a black man in the South? I would say that I often feel I am viewed as a threat for for no reason other than my, my skin tone and perhaps what if I'm wearing a hoodie or something. Here's the deal. I'm six foot and 220 pounds. So I'm not a small, not a small guy, but I have to have a have a wonderful wife. I have two precious little children. Like I'm trying to get my milk at Walmart and I'm trying to get out, right? I have I have zero desire to 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 accost you and half the time I don't even want to talk to you. But here's here's the flip side with me, Jess. If if me and you were the only ones in an elevator or we're the only ones on a even a, a grocery store aisle, even if I'm in a horrible mood and I have zero desire to speak to you, I will at least say hello or hi or good afternoon, or do you believe meat's on sale, or something. So it's like, hey, I am announcing to you that I am in your presence. I am making I am making an acknowledgement that I see you. I'm hoping that you see me. I have. I don't want anything from you. I'm just here to do some shopping. And I hate that I have to do that. It's, it's this thing called respectability politics, right? So it's like if I present myself as, as respectable, then in return you will – hopefully not see me as a threat and continue your life. I have friends that are white who don't, who don't have to do that, who choose not to do that. And it's just like, okay, it's just, and no, no attention is paid to them. It's just like, they're another, they're another individual shopping. So I would, I would say just don't be so quick to judge. Now here's the deal. I have a dimension, a, a wife and then two little girls, and I will teach them, uh, the girls to be aware of their surroundings just for, for goodness sake, right. For their own safety. But that doesn't mean using implicit bias and seeing this person and think, okay, well, the black person wearing a hoodie, they're probably up to no good. So I should be clutching my purse because of that. Uh, so don't be so quick to judge. Yeah. One thing you said the other day when we were talking, you said, there's nothing more comfortable than a hoodie for you. Like there's nothing right. more comfortable. And I thought about, you know, 
there's nothing more comfortable for me than my uh, sweatpants and my sweatshirt. I love it. It's it's my favorite. I'm in it right now. I'm in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. And I think <laughs> I can go to the grocery store like this right now. And you're, or especially right now, I mean, every, every woman is wearing, you know, uh, this, or they're wearing, uh, you know, athleisure wear, but they're not really, you know, doing any workouts. That's what's happening. And I don't have to think twice about it, but you do, you could be at home in a hoodie and sweatpants and you're like, I'm going to go to the grocery store, but I better change first. That's right. Yes. That's happened many times. Can't go to the store in a hoodie. That's a bad idea. If it's dark outside, psh, nah, no, let me put on a t-shirt. Let me put on a long sleeve t-shirt uh, and put on a jacket, not a hoodie. Do you sometimes wait until it's daylight just because you know it's safer? No. Now look, have I gone to the grocery store in a hoodie in the last six weeks? I'm sure that I have if weather, if weather permitted, uh, but I don't have the hood up. Again, I'm I'm looking to make eye contact and say hello. And again, it's not stuff that I have to do. It's stuff that I choose to do to be above board. So there's no, well, he was walking close to me. And it's like, well, we're both walking in the door at the same time, lady. Sorry. Um, so no, I, I still do that on occasion, but I am very cautious when I do. So I don't go running with a hoodie on. Um, and I run a lot in, in neighborhoods in mine and close, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't run with a hoodie on. Your wife is a white woman. Your best friend and podcast host is a white man. What was it like in the beginning of those relationships? And what is it like now to navigate race and those relationships together? Uh, Todd, who's the white dude on the podcast, Todd and I were recording last week and he, he recalled something he said to me when we were in junior high, I think. Um, and it was something that was hurtful and it was something that I've heard a lot. And we talked about it a little bit on the podcast and it was, Leo, you are the whitest black dude I know. Mm. And he said it jokingly, but I think, okay, so first off, I don't, I, I knew that that angered me and that upset me, but I don't know if I knew at that point how to articulate to Todd why that was so upsetting. And even if I did, I don't know at, with me in ninth grade and him in eighth grade, if he would have fully, fully got that. Right. right totally. um, so it's uh, so so it's a couple things. One, there is a standard that he has in his mind for black, and because I act a certain way or listen to a certain type of music or dress a certain way, I don't meet what his level of blackness is. That's an issue within itself because black people are a multi-layered lot, just like any other people group. Two, I think that he thought that that was a compliment because. White people are up here, and you—you're not like you're not like the other black people. You're you're more like white people. So there's a lot of in that very simple statement. There's a lot of judgment and frustration and the putting down of one race and, and highlighting another one. And believe it or not, I've actually had that same conversation, and I, I, I'd forgotten this, but upon hearing that, uh, my wife Whitney had recalled the time when she said that to me. In her, not in her defense, but she was drunk. And I, I, I had forgotten about this until we talked about it recently. Um, she said that to me when we were dating. And I said, that's hurtful. You're drunk. You don't know what you're talking about. We'll talk about this another time. And we did. So yeah, that is a, and again, this is, this is my experience. So that's been something that's been said to me a handful of times within my, within my life. And I'm, I'm hoping that someone's going to hear this and go, and I've said that to him or, and I've thought that about this person. Well, damn, I didn't realize how hurtful that was and how insensitive that was. So if that happens to you, I would invite you to tell that person that you've grown up and that you you know you know better and you're doing better. So also with Whitney, when we first started dating, there were members in her family that were not a fan of me and 1000% based off the fact that I was black. No other, there was, there was no even like thinly veiled. Well, he's a little bit older. Nope. It was just, uh, oh, he's black period. That's it. <laughs> uh, we, we have an issue with that. Uh, I actually recall a time where you, Whitney, Brian, and I had dinner together. We were going, we went out to eat for pizza or something and y'all were just dating. And, um, I think y'all were getting married or you were, you were about to get married or something. And you sat down and I go, are you, are you okay? Did you have a bad day? And you go, guys, I don't know if you know this or not, 
but I'm black. And it was basically <laughs> because you had had, like, there was just so much um, going on in the beginning of your re- relationship about how that alone was an issue. And it was like almost, I don't know, I just felt for you in that, in that case, for sure. Yeah, um, that was a, an extremely difficult time that is better now. I say with a question mark, um, it's, it was, it was to the point that if there would be a family gathering, if a couple of these folks were going to be there, it was like, okay, are we going to invite Leo and Whitney or were you going to invite these other people? Um, because we couldn't occupy the same space. Uh, and, and, and Jess, even as I'm telling you that I'm thinking, good gosh, how this was, and not that this even matters, but this wasn't 1965, right? This was like eight years ago. And I honestly think with with these folks in particular, I think it was a was a I don't know how my white friends that are my age are going to take this. I I think that it's like okay, I don't want to be embarrassed or I don't want and I don't even know if this part was the case, but I mean if if there's an occasional black joke thrown around, I don't want them to have to feel like they've got to censor themselves around me or something like mm-hmm. that, which that within itself is a problem. So I think I, I think status is part of it, and I think that. The, the fear of the of the unknown is is part of it. Either way, it's all bad. And it's that relationship is better now. But but quite honestly, when things like George Floyd, when things like Ahmaud Arbery, when things like Breonna Taylor, when things like that happen, it's hard to easily get back to a place in my mind where I'm having to relive some of that trauma, right? Now I've I've not been killed, obviously, but all the stuff we're talking about was racially motivated. So it's easy to go back to a place of, of frustration and, and anger and pain, uh, not only based off what I'm seeing, but also based off my own experiences. Oprah did a special this week where she, uh, it was called, Where Do We Go From Here? At the very beginning of the, of the first part, she speaks with a man who she just said, how are you feeling? You know, and all of this. And he said, he said he has a son and he's always been able to say things like you don't resist arrest, which by the way, already is an injustice because if you didn't do something wrong, you should be able to say that wasn't me. You know, um, I've always been able to say to him, you know, make sure you have your license, make sure you, you know, you don't resist arrest. Like these are the things to do to keep you alive. And he said, for the first time, he said, I walked in because he was watching the, um, maybe he wasn't watching it at the moment, but somehow they had both seen the footage of George Floyd. And he said, at the, for the first time, I'm speechless to my son because George Floyd wasn't resisting arrest, number one. Right. And number two, the casualty, like the casualness of the officer with his knee on his neck and his sunglasses half propped on his head. You know, they weren't on his eyes. They weren't all the way back. Just so casual. I forget the words he used. So I don't want to, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I encourage y'all to watch that interview because even that right there was, was a moment of, for him, this has gotten worse. Like I don't like that. I can't, I don't even know what to tell my son because it's like, no, it's just because of the color of your skin. Like it's not because you're going to resist arrest or you don't have your license or you don't, it's just the color of your skin. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I can't change that for you. So I don't know what to say. And he just, you know, I don't know. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard. Um, I love that, that there are a lot of white people who are getting fired up about this injustice, right? I, I love that they're opening their eyes to, to, to things that are going on in their country. You know, when I was in your living room the other day, that was one thing we talked about. It's like, we can't push this across the goal line without white people, right? This has got to be a, a united collaborative effort. So we need um, white people to be outraged. We need white people to be allies. We need white people to be helping to push for, for change on a systemic level. Like it's, we've, we've got to have white people to, to make this thing work. Yesterday they had a thing on Instagram. It was called share the mic and it was where white women that have really large platforms. They gave their platform over to like an educational black leader who actually teaches on this, you know, who teaches about, you know, uh, allyship or anti 
racism and, and these topics. And, and I was watching some of them and I just felt for them because they said, you know, this is hard because I actually have a little bit of anxiety because I'm used to speaking to a room full of black people. And this is weird. And this is different speaking to a, to a room of white people, but I'm here to do this because we need you. And then they would say things like, there's some black women who are like, yes, take that mic, tell everyone what they need to hear. And then there's some black women that are like, why are you doing this? You should be enough. Your voice alone. Why are you giving the, you know, the white platform, the power and, and, you know, and they even would say, I get it. And I feel mixed emotions about that as well. But if we wanted to end racism, this would have been ended a long time ago. And so we, we do need white allyship. And so I'm going to get uncomfortable and talk to, you know, an audience full of white women and, and see how that helps. I think you hit the nail on the head with with uncomfortable, right? I think that um, black people, for the most part, grow up talking about race because it, it it impacts a lot, if not all, that we do, and white people don't. So obviously, there's they're just less comfortable talking about it. Um, and I would throw this in on the list of things with for for allies. Um, get used to being uncomfortable for a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's going to be those it's it's a growing pain, right? It's like a it's like a stretch mark or some muscle aches or something. It's something that right now while I'm trying to get myself to this better level, it hurts and it's uncomfortable. It might be a little bit frustrating and uneasy, but that will yield a better in this case Jessica Zimmerman, right? That that's going to make you a little bit more understanding or any other individual to to what's going on and then what to do from there once you get out of that painful place. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have kids, you have kids. In the past few weeks, one of the most convicting ideas for me is that parents of black children don't get to choose whether you have hard conversations about race with your kids and you know, in some ways it must feel like their survival depends on it. Can you speak to what that conversation is like? What race conversations do you wish white parents would have with their children? I heard someone say the other day that it's parenting is hard because you don't know if your kids have gotten, if you've done a good job raising your kids until they're older, right? And I I see that. But I think along with with raising kids to be nice and kind, I think that white people have converse, white people having conversations with their kids about race at an early age is important also um uh, it'll be a different conversation than than my dad had with me but it's a conversation based in education right so maybe these kids ride the bus because of where they live because of this right making taking opportunities to to educate your kid and it doesn't i don't think it has to be a as, as a parent, I, I find opportunities in little things to to educate my kids or try to make them a little bit better, some sort of edifying conversation for them. Um, and I think it's the same way. But before a parent can have those conversations, a parent has to be educated themselves, right? They've got to be able to to know the history of, of race in this country and, and redlining and, and things like that before they can impart that wisdom on their kids. And I also think knowing knowing implicit bias makes a difference also, right? So knowing that there's a prevailing thought with some that black people are lazy or something along those lines, right? Being able to to see that in your own life so that if you see that in your kids, you can you can call that out. I see little things that my kids pick up for me all the time. And sometimes it's awesome. And sometimes it's like, oh, gosh, I hate that they picked up that thing. And that's got to be the same way with things regarding race. And lastly, I would say that they're little, little jokes. Um, and I don't know, I said, I told my wife a, a joke that I heard growing up. That um, was a racist joke, and she's like, "I've never heard that." I was like, "Well, that's that's good." And I don't know why why people felt the need to tell me racist jokes when when the punchline was extremely insensitive. But I say that to say, like, words matter and words hurt, right? So even even comments like the 
that someone may think is a compliment, like that you're the whitest black person I know, or a, uh, I'm air quoting, seemingly innocent joke. Um, those things help to to reinforce bias, to reinforce negative depictions of black people, um, negative stereotypes of black people. So even even stuff that seems kind of trivial, like a little joke, um, I think a correction on that goes a long way as well. I think one of the biggest wake up calls for me actually came a couple of months ago when, you know, my daughter's best friend is Latina and her mom and I were having a conversation about race. And I, this was before the Black Lives Matter movement, but I had said to her, I am so glad that they're best friends for many reasons, but one being that she is a different race. Because I, I remember saying to Brian, I wish we, you know, before we had children, I was like, I want to adopt babies from all over so that my children just are raised up knowing, you know, that, that, uh, that we're all the same. And she said to me, I know you and I know your heart and I get where you're coming from, but I need you to see my color and I need you to teach Stella the, her, her, uh, my daughter's color, because there's going to come a time where Stella's voice is the only voice that's going to be heard and she's going to need to stand up or she's going to need to know. She goes, I've already taught my daughter with her black friends that if anything happens, you stay with them. You stay with them. Um, And she said, you've got to teach Stella that too. And, you know, that was such an amazing eye-opening moment for me and an unlearning for me. And I instantly got it. I instantly got it. I, it didn't take me a uh, lot. I didn't have to sit with that. You know what I mean? I, I instantly right. understood it and I got it. And it almost made me mad for the way I had been brought up, meaning I was brought up and this is, this is in my home. This was in my church. This was in my school to not see color that we are all the same red, yellow, black, and white. We are precious in his sight. Um, I remember my elementary school nurse having a black student and a white student come to the front and show the palms of their hands and saying, see, we are the same. So we don't, we don't talk about it, about race because we're all the same. And, and so that was such a shift for me that I had a couple months ago of, and I think that's almost why I got fired up when the Black Lives Matter movement started happening again is because. I had just had this conversation with my dear friend about how important it is um, to see color and to speak up. And so do you, just saying that, do you think that there are ways that we are contributing to racism without knowing it? Like with, with, like we grow up and we, we believe that we're not racist, but do, are there things that we're doing? You know, maybe we're not personally saying racist things, but what are we doing that actually is contributing to racism? Uh, I, I think that's, I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, not seeing color. Um, I think that that was a, that was an old, you know, things change in time, right? I think that was, I feel like that was a very nineties thing. It's like, Oh, I don't see color. And it's like, well, not, not seeing color isn't, isn't the goal, right? Um, seeing color and then not treating differently. That's the goal, right? It's, it's okay to acknowledge that, that I'm black and you're white. And that's, that's imperative that if me and you are riding in a car and we get pulled over by a cop, I, it's important that you know that I'm black because I'm going to feel a certain way about that, right? There, there are instances where your color is, it's important that that both parties, oh no, it's just Leo. No, no, no. And it's like, well, yeah, it's Leo and Leo's black and Leo is terrified right, right. now because there are blue lights behind us. Um, I, I don't know if I have a great answer for that. I'm, I'm sure that there are, right? But I don't, I, I can't think of anything. I think that that's a really good one. Um, but I think that the more you, you you try to immerse yourself, I think I said education at the beginning of this thing, and actually hear black voices, there are going to be opportunities for you to go, oh, okay, I didn't realize that that was something that was kind of racist. That's probably not the best answer for that, but that's what I got, Jess. Well, I... It- when I was doing some personal research for all of this, I, you know, just for myself and saying, how can I make my home anti-racist? Because it's not enough to just, we're not racist. Like, how do you make it your home anti-racist? And one of the things that I read, and this was all from a black mother. And she said, you know, are all the dolls in your house white? Are all of the books that you read your children, do they have white characters and white heroes? Have you ever 
contemplated when you went to buy Band-Aids that you are always going to have a Band-Aid that matches the color of your skin. Uh, When your child goes to draw a picture of themselves, is there always a color that represents their skin color? Mm. And those right there, because I have never, ever, ever gone to a store and not seen a doll that looks like me. I've never gone to a store and gone, well, wait, where's my skin color Band-Aid? I've never gone to a store and seen books that didn't have people who looked like me on them. And so I've ne- it, it, it has never dawned on me. Have, have you ever gone to look at a clothing company that maybe you're interested in and gone through the Instagram feed and you're like, well, geez, none of these people look like me. Do people like me wear these clothes? That's a thing too, right? I think we talked something about small business last time we were we were talking. And I, I jokingly say it now, but I really do give kudos to Walmart because in every damn ad they have, they've got a, a black person, a white person, an Asian person, a woman. Like they are they are intentional about having all people groups in their advertising. And that that representation like that matters, right? To your point, when I'm trying to find books for my girls to read all some of the characters need to look like them, right? It can't just be all these these fair skinned blonde hair blue eyed princesses uh, there's there's got to be some girls that that match their tone, which their tone is different than my tone, right? right. so I've got to find books that also look like their mother's tone books that look like my tone um, so that they're getting a, a very well balanced um, view of that thing and I mentioned the Instagram feed because um, I've legit looked to buy clothes before. I was like, well, let me just see. I'm like, well, there's not a black face on here. Yeah. Um, and then I have to wonder, could that just be a gross oversight? Mm. Maybe. Is that completely insensitive? And that, I mean, then I have to go down this rabbit hole of a handful of reasons why that could not be the case. Are they just making sure they're not marketing to people that look like me? Right. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot wrapped within something as seemingly innocuous as some Instagram post. Right. I got to tell you though that that really knocked me over the head when uh, I read that because I thought, yeah, I know in my heart, <laughs> you know, we, we have friends who are of different colors. I mean, we went to Stobie's, you know, that's a restaurant here in town um, before COVID and it was us, a Latina family and a black family. And I remember just sitting there and we just, I loved it. I loved it. Cause it was like, yeah, we just like, these are our friends. This is who we, this is who we hang out with. And we took a picture and I loved seeing the different skin, skin tones and everything. Cause, and I felt like I'm, I'm going to be really honest here. I felt like there was a moment where I was like, I'm teaching my children anti-racism, you know, because we are here together, but that is not enough. And that's what this, this, this letter from this black woman taught me that is not enough those because you know i'm a hermit like i live at home and i stay at home (laughs) right i go out to eat maybe three times a year with people that isn't enough you know if if that isn't enough my kids need to see in our home on a daily basis you know dolls of color there need to be books with people of color in them Uh, they need to see people of color in my home more often. You know what I mean? Like they, I don't know. It just was a very, a good wake up call. And then to go even further than that, you know, she said, who are you consuming? So like if everyone you follow, if everyone you're getting news from, so if you just look at Instagram, for example, if everyone you follow is white, that's what you're consuming. And so that's the only point of view, you know, so just to diversify what's in your home and what you consume. When you turn on your your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed, if it's all people that look like you, there's a possibility, and this is both white or black, that everything that you think and you know is going to be, that's what's going to be purveyed with that Instagram feed, right? So mixing in some different different people helps to kind of broaden those horizons and give you maybe a look at what the other side looks like. Can we talk real quick about, because I know you're going through your weekend getaway where I encourage you to have so many drinks and just relax. (laughs) But before you do that, you are going to an important lunch. Can you share with the audience your heart behind that lunch? Yeah. Um, So I have a good friend who is is white. Him and his wife are white. Lovely couple. They are wonderful. They have uh, a couple uh, white children that they uh, that she birthed um, and they have adopted a black child, little black boy. 
and he's and this sounds silly, but I mean he's just as much as part of the family as the other kids, right? They're just as much his kid, uh, and I love that. And it's beautiful. And after Ahmaud Arbery was shot and killed while jogging, I felt a very I felt a tugging that I needed to reach out to this person uh, respectfully, and I think he respects my opinion enough and say a conversation needs to be had. There, there's no assumptions that he was not going to do this, but a conversation needs to be had with this young man at some point that despite who his parents are and despite the color of their skin and despite the color of his sibling's skin, he is still going to be looked at and viewed differently than them. And that's something that they can never quite get you know we talked about empathizing and sympathizing that's something they can never quite sympathize with um but for his own safety someone needs to have a conversation with that kid i i can i do that 100 percent. but i would much rather um and that's what i'm going to say to this individual i'd much rather him do some research and again there's an assumption there that he has it, and I don't know if that's the case, to educate his black son on on what things look like and what things could look like and what his life will look like. And while, again, while he's in this family, his experience will be a lot different than than his parents. Um, and I'm not – I'm nervous about this conversation, to be real honest. Uh, I feel like it's one that needs to happen because I think that's a – I hate to say it's a trend. I don't know the best way to say it, but it it is a common practice that white families are adopting black children. And I think that's great. I think that obviously every kid um, can can be better uh, from a number of perspectives with a two-parent household. Um, Just when the child is a different color than the parents, there are some – particularly in the black-white case, uh, there's just some education that needs to be done for those parents so that they can educate that child and also that they can look for different ways to protect that child because that's not a conversation that was had for them, uh, that was had with them from their parents. So that's what I'm doing immediately after this. I'm, I'm anxious and I'm kind of, I'm kind of nervous to be honest with you because I don't know, I guess it's possible that he could take this the wrong way and be offended. Uh, and hopefully he gets it. I'm looking out for him uh, and his child. I genuinely believe that I mean, your heart, people know your heart and they know, I mean, I think that that is selfless of you to do that. And I think that that is, um, I would, I would be nothing but appreciative and grateful for that conversation. And, you know, if, if he takes it any other way, I believe at some point he will come around and, and whether he ever says that to you or not, I think he would feel in his heart, you know, that conversation changed the way I approached raising my son. And so I, I, sometimes parents get defensive. If that happens, ugh, that sucks. But but I think that this is this is good, and I I applaud you for it. And I have a feeling. I mean, you're going to go in there with such good intention that he will. Um, I think he he will take it uh, well. I really do. I think so, and I hope so. And I'll I'll keep you posted um, on on how that thing goes. I think I think it'll be well received. Um, but I didn't I didn't tee him up at all as to what this was about. So he's he's kind of coming into it blind, but I think he's aware of what's going on in the world. So I think uh, I think think he may have an inkling. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to get to that lunch, and then you've got to go enjoy your weekend. Is there anything else that you want to, you know, leave us with? Oh gosh, like a parting thought or something. Uh, here's the here's the question I ask everyone on the podcast. The last question that I ask every single person I interview. If you had Oprah's money, billions of dollars, okay, you had billions of dollars, and you had to spend it on yourself, something totally selfish, what would it be? Something totally selfish. Yikes. Well, that's a that's a very difficult question. That's not where my headspace has been the last <laughs> little bit. Um, totally selfish. Um, it would probably some sort of... I love a vacation. Okay. I, I like to travel the world and I want to do more of that. And I want my kids to see more of the world. Um, so this might be some sort of lavish trip around the world. Lavish is aggressive. Um, average trip around the world. Nah, we'll lavish. We got, if we got Oprah's money, it's going to be lavish. I'll take it back. Lavish trip around the world, um, showing them different, um, historic sites and cultural uh, cultural differences 
um, tasting different food. I don't even know where. I mean, we would go to Africa. We would go to Australia. I've not been to Spain. Uh, I want to go back to the Coliseum to show them the Coliseum. It would be an extended, 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 lavish trip uh, with the family all over the world. That would be incredible. Now I'm, now I'm curious as to what yours was. Because <laughs> yours, yours was kind of selfish, but it was also like, you know, nice with your kid. Mine was, because I here's what I think. I think the answer to this question shows what you truly value. And okay. I truly value time. I'm all about time. So it's the one where we can't get it back. Once we've used it, it's gone. Mine is... <laughs> Um, and I think I answered this on episode one or two. Um, I would hire someone every day to come to my house and to wash my hair, fix my hair and do my makeup because I'm <laughs> so much done if I could work during that like hour and a half of time, um, get so much done. And then, you know, I have to be on like, I'll do podcasts where I'm, where they do like video too. So I have to look presentable. And, uh, and I just, every time I do my makeup, I think this is such a waste of time. This is such a waste of time. Think of all the other things I could be accomplishing right now. And so, yeah, that's my answer. This, this really is so kind of you to come on here and to, and to do this and to just share kind of your heart with everything. Tell everybody where we can find you. Me? I'm not I'm not anything. The the podcast is cool. I'm not anything. I'm on I'm on Instagram and and uh, Facebook and all that stuff. Leo underscore thrice T H R I C E because I'm Leo Cummings the third. Um Black Dude White Dude. It's Black Dude underscore white dude on Instagram, Twitter. Uh we've got a Facebook also. Um and again, I invite you to check out the podcast uh anywhere where you can find podcasts. We are there, Black Dude. White Dude check it out. We have some some pretty good conversations. And if you've not listened to the ones with Jess, uh, episode 61 and 69, check those out. Look, we did, and I'm just taking over for a second. Um, the podcast that we had with you, where we talked about the book, is hands down one of my favorite podcasts that we've done. It was, it was these two um, big dudes holding back tears and talking about this book with the, I mean, it was, it was really good. I mean, and, and we've talked about this uh, both on the podcast, but, but offline as well. Um, obviously big fans of you and the book, I think Todd was hesitant. I think Todd didn't want to really read the book. And I was like, well, we're going to read the book. She's going to come on. We're going to talk about the book. And it was just, uh, there's so much, in the book, Jessica's not asked me to say this, guys. This is just how I feel. Uh, there was just so much in the book, so many takeaways that were um, applicable to to different to different parts of where you are in life. So we enjoyed getting to do that with Jess. So definitely go check out episode sixty nine with Jessica Zimmerman. Mm, thank you so much. That's really kind of you. Okay, well, thanks for being here. Go have a great lunch and a great weekend. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate you using um, the platform that you have to to get some education out there and to challenge some folks. It's uh, it's it's needed, um, and it's very much appreciated. So thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope that hearing what Leo shared today will give you the permission you need to find your own role in supporting and including Black people in your businesses and, of course, in your lives. We don't have to be perfect, but we do have to act, speak, and listen the best ways we know how. For me, that looked like giving my friend Leo an additional space to share his experiences and insights. It looks like buying black and brown dolls for my kids, books with black and brown main characters, products from black makers, and seeing and celebrating color in my own personal friendships and with the voices I invite into my life. This week, the most important work you can do is in your own heart and mind. It's never a bad day to start the work of uprooting prejudice in yourself and your community. Figure out what that looks like for you today and get started. I'll see you next time.